We all have someone in our life who knows us really well. If you've been married for a number of years, your spouse would certainly fall into that category. But there's actually someone who knows you better than anyone. Here's Pastor Bill Henry. He knows the very hairs of your head. How many in number? And you know, it's interesting, even though the older we get, for some of us, it's a little bit easier for the Lord to count how many hairs we have left. Some of them, there's none left. That's okay. The Lord knows you. He knows everything about you. Here's the, here's the tricky part, right? He still loves you. He still loves me. And, and that's the beautiful thing. Remember that, who, who you are, whose you are, beloved in Christ. When a believer is navigating between what the world says is right and what God tells us is right, it can sometimes be difficult to see our way clearly. And when we start to rely on our common sense, that's when things can really go haywire. Today, as we continue in chapter two of Revelation, Pastor Bill Henry will show us that there is only one thing that can light our path and that ultimately the choice of whether to follow the world's path or God's is our decision and our decision alone. We're going to begin a study today of the letter to the church in Pergamum here on Simple Faith with Pastor Bill Henry. Join us now in Revelation chapter 2. Revelation 2, 12. And to the angel of the church in Pergamus write, These things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas, my faithful martyr, was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you, because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality." Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Uh, as we look at the first two letters briefly, just uh, mentioning, uh, Ephesus, the first letter that Jesus wrote to the seven churches here in chapters 2 and 3, um, was called the Loveless Church by most of the commentators. Uh, and they also said uh, that his letter to second letter to Smyrna was the letter to the persecuted church. And then now we have Pergamus, and they call this the letter to the compromising church. And we're going to see why in just a few minutes. Look at verse 12 with me. And to the angel of the church in Pergamus write, These things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. Now, remember, in all the letters, we've talked about this, that in all the letters, uh, Jesus, instead of saying, hey, guys, this is from Jesus, uh, describes, gives part of the description that he gives in chapter 1 of himself. And remember, uh, this is not the book of Revelation of John or uh, Revelation of mighty things to come. This is the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ. And we see that here in chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, and so he goes on, though, in chapter 1 to give him a description of himself. Of, and again, it's an unveiling. It's a revelation of things that the church hasn't seen before of Jesus. 
And so we see here that he says, these things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. Now, again, it's interesting because back to the church in Ephesus, uh, the loveless church, we know that Jesus described himself as he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Uh, and Jesus um, already described what this means back in chapter 1, that Jesus is there in the midst of the church. And so it's interesting that to the loveless church, Jesus says, hey, I am there. Uh, remember from whence you've fallen, basically. And then to the church in Smyrna, the persecuted church, Jesus describes himself as the first and the last who was dead and came to life. So he's basically saying, hey, you're being persecuted, but remember, I am the first and the last. I am God Almighty. He who was dead and came to life, I am over all those things. Trust in me, you can almost hear him say. And now it's interesting, because those two descriptions are kind of majestic and powerful and even encouraging, but here it's more of a warning, almost terrifying. He who has the sharp two-edged sword. And so we're going to see here in a moment where it's encouraging to them, but also a warning to the church there in Pergamos. Look at verse 13. I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. Now, you'll notice again, and we've pointed this out before, that at the beginning of each letter, Jesus reminds them, I know your works. And so Jesus is always here within the midst of, of the church. He's the one that is standing in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Uh, and he knows our works. And I love this because there's kind of two reactions to this usually. Uh, one brings great comfort, uh, knowing that Jesus is in our midst continually. That even now as we come together as the church, Jesus is here. He sees what we're doing. He sees our hearts. He knows uh, what's going on within our lives and is at work. Uh, but to others, they hear this, even in the church. And sometimes it brings great discomfort, and hopefully so. Because Jesus also sees those things that we're doing that we should not be doing. Jesus also th sees those things that we're not doing that we should be doing. And so there should be some forms of discomfort at times, uh, especially if we're living in sin. But again, what a great comfort that Jesus knows what we're doing. Uh, notice he goes on to say he also knows where they dwell. Uh, as they live there in Pergamos, he describes it. He says that you are dwelling where Satan's throne is. Uh, now, look at the end of verse 13. He reiterates this, where Satan dwells. Uh, anybody here want to put that on your town moniker? This is where Satan, his throne is. Uh, this is where Satan dwells. Um, but <laughs> it's an interesting thing because he's saying it, so it must be true that for a time, and uh, we don't know how long, that Satan himself was actually, that's where he set up his throne. Um, and here's the thing, and let's just take a few minutes to look at this doctrinally, that Satan is a created being. 
We need to understand this. Satan is not another god. He's not, you know, some, you know, the yin to the yang. He's not darkness versus light and all this stuff. No, he's not even an itty bitty ant compared to the elephant of Jesus. And not even close. So we need to have this doctrine clear within our heads that, that Satan, and the reason I'm saying this is Satan is not everywhere at one time. And that's one thing we see within our text. Yes, it's the place where Satan dwells, and yes, they're being persecuted. But here's the thing, Satan can only be in one place at one time. And we need to understand this, that as he rebelled from God, he was created to worship God. There's even some scriptures that kind of give the, ten, the hint that he is probably the worship leader in heaven. Uh, and that he rebelled against God. And in Isaiah we read that he wants to at one point put his throne above uh, God's throne. Well, and, and here he is kind of <laughs> a little bit below this. They're, they're definitely not, uh, you know, in heaven here. And it's definitely not above God's throne. But again, he's in one place and he was thrown out of heaven. Uh, we read, and, and they'll, that, well, that'll come further on. We'll read about that in Revelation. Uh, so again, Satan cannot be everywhere at one time. He is not omnipresent, as some, and even again, many Christians falsely believe. Now, I want to take a sidestep, if you will, with me. And I want to talk for a moment uh, about a practical application for this. Have anybody, has anybody here heard of artificial intelligence lately? AI. It's all over the place. It's uh, most magazines, most television stations, uh, all your global leaders are all talking about AI, artificial intelligence, and all these different things. Uh, because it's interesting because with it, once it's perfected, uh, there, it'll be able to see and hear and control pretty much all that it's connected to. Uh, even now, if I say, hey Siri, uh, all of a sudden on my computer, Siri, there she is. Go away, Siri. Goodbye. Go. Leave. Leave. Uh, and, uh, you know, you might say, hey, Alexa, or whatever's on your thing. Uh, and so they're always listening. Uh, and as AI continues to be developed, and it's interesting, I was talking to a computer programmer about this a few months ago, and the, the actual idea of artificial intelligence is really a misnomer. Um, because it still has to be programmed. Uh, it still is programmed what is right, what is wrong, what is true, what is false. And so, again, it's really under the control of whoever programs whatever is put into it. But here's the thing. That is, it continues to grow. These massive companies like Microsoft and others, uh, Apple even, they're looking to let it control the world. They're looking to let it control, uh, you know, uh, in, in England, they're looking to let it control your car fleets and how far you can drive and, you know, what days of the week and different things. All controlled by artificial intelligence uh, to control the monetary system, other different things. Uh, and so it's very interesting. Even the World Economic Forum founder, Klaus Schwab, uh, just a couple weeks ago said at the World Government Council, and yes, they had a World Government Council uh, in what they did, I saw an article a couple weeks ago, One World Order, basically, uh, you know, the, the tin hat conspiracy stuff. When they're out there having these meetings, it, the World Government Summit, but he said this at the meeting about AI. He said, whoever masters AI, the metaverse, and synthetic biology will rule the world. 
And I believe it because you think about it, all the, they want to tie in all the uh, armories into it. They want to tie in all the food manufacture, distribution, etc., etc., etc. So why do I bring this up? Well, because remember, Satan can only be in one place at one time. He wants to act like he's God. He wants to pretend like he's God. And during the tribulation, we're going to see that there comes a point when he has control over the whole world. Well, how can he do that if he's not omnipresent? You know, because through AI, he almost can pretend to be omnipresent. As all of a sudden, he can, you know, if you got the mark of the beast and remember the mark of the beast, everyone will have to have a mark of the beast uh, to buy or to sell, the Bible says. Uh, and then also, though, uh, you're going to have to worship the beast. And so, and just so you know, uh, the main sin is in the worshiping of the beast, uh, to receiving the mark in an act of worship. Uh, de declaring him to be your God. And uh, so you can't be tricked into receiving the mark of the beast. Uh, I got an ATM card. So, oh, you got the mark of the beast. Sorry, brother, you're lost. You're going to hell. No, that's not how it works. Uh, you can't be tricked out of your salvation. You can't, you know, go to the crossroads and play a guitar against the devil and, you know, for your soul kind of thing. Just doesn't happen. Uh, and so Satan, though, uh, he's going to, through AI, I believe, the, the, the power that's there, that's how he's going to pretend to rule the world. That's how he's going to pretend to have, he will have all the power that comes with that. Uh, and you have all the satellites going on up right now, if you don't know, but uh, even, you know, Elon Musk continues to put his satellites so you can have, you know, uh, basically internet connection anywhere in the world. They made the new iPhones to where they can connect. I don't know if you know this, but they can connect to satellites. They're not enabled in that area yet from what I've read, but they can connect. And so you can be in the deepest, darkest part of Africa. You can be in Antarctica. As long as there's a satellite above you, guess what? Not only can you be, oh, I can be connected to the internet. No, they can track where you're going. They see where you're going. They see what you're spending. And so, again, this is what I believe, how Satan is going to look uh, like, he, you know, he's all-powerful, omnipotent, all-knowing is because of AI. I just find it very interesting. But remember, in Revelation, we're going to be told that Satan fell from heaven, and there he took a third of the angels with him. Uh, we don't know how many those angels are. Hundreds of millions, billions, I, we have no clue, but there's a whole bunch and they fell, a third of them fell with uh, uh, Satan down to the earth. And they too can only be at one place at one time. Uh, and yet they, they're kind of under him, the, the lesser angels, if you will, uh, demons as well, they're called the same thing, uh, that help Satan do his work throughout the earth. C.S. Lewis in his book about spiritual warfare called Screwtape Letters, he basically hypothesized that Satan uh, basically has a hierarchy and is very well organized, and his goal is to trip up believers, uh, get them out of the race, trip them up, trip up their witness, get them to where they don't believe they can be used for the glory of God, and uh, just to kind of mess them up, because they can't mess with their salvation, but they can mess them up. So again, just as even those demons, those fallen angels, has one single physical location, so too, as we're told in our text here, Satan does, and he's at Pergamos, at least at this point in history. This is where his throne was set up. Now, just to continue on this briefly for one more moment, fallen angels or demons have been recorded as doing this before in the Bible as well, being in a location. Uh, turn with me, please, to the book of Daniel, chapter 10. 
Daniel chapter 10, starting in verse 10. And as we're coming here to chapter 10, verse 10, just a kind of synopsis of what's been happening, Daniel received a revelation from the Lord, a vision that greatly grieved him. Uh, and so he basically went into prayer. Uh, he went into fasting uh, and seeking the Lord and, uh, for an answer about it. And so he was uh, mourning and praying for three weeks. He ate, the Bible tells us he ate no delicacies, no meat or wine, entered his mouth, nor did he anoint himself for the full three weeks. Now, after three weeks, we come here to verse 10, Daniel chapter 10, verse 10. And behold, a hand touched me, set me trembling on my knee, hands and knees, and he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for it is for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humble yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me for 21 days. Now let's stop there for just a moment. We notice that Daniel, 21 days, three weeks before this, had fallen in prayer. And guess what? The Lord sent out an immediate answer to his prayer. Uh, but this answer through this angel was held up, there, verse 13, by the kingdom, um, or the prince of the kingdom of Persia, which stood me for 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. He's an archangel, the Bible says. For I was left there with the kings of Persia. The NIV says, because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Verse 14 says, and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for days yet to come. So even there in the book of Daniel, uh, you know, we have this, you know, king over the kingdom of Persia, some kind of fallen angel, a demon, uh, that this angel wasn't strong enough to overcome. So he was taken captive, couldn't bring uh, the message to Daniel until Michael was sent uh, and contended with him and freed him to bring the message to Daniel. It's just a very interesting thing because a lot of times we as Christians, we get our eyes off of the spiritual and too much on the physical world. Uh, when in reality, we say, oh, this is the real world. This is actually the fake world. Well, the, the, the chairs you're sitting on the building, this is all going to be gone. But the things that are eternal are the things spiritual. So we can have the tendency either to ignore the spiritual or get caught too far up. Oh, Satan's a god. We need to have a good, healthy, biblical doctrine and view of Satan and, the, and demons. Now come back to our text here in Revelation 2, verse 13. Jesus continues, he says here, no, even though they were suffering persecution, it says, and you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith even in the days in which Antipas, my faithful martyr, was killed. Uh, and so here we see Jesus is commending them. Hey, even though you're in the city where Satan's throne is, <laughs> you, have, you hold fast to my name. You did not deny my faith. You know, it's interesting. Uh, how would you feel if you were told that Satan's uh, throne is in Battleground or Vancouver or whatever town you're living in? I think he's in Portland right now, perhaps. We, <laughs> no, not gonna. But how would you feel? 
Uh, you know, it's interesting because a lot of times, you know, I don't know about you, but I, how, how many times you heard, oh, the Pacific Northwest, it's so dark. Or the Midwest, it's so dark. Oh, the, the Bible Belt, so dark. Or this city, so dark. And, and a lot of times as Christians, we just want to run away from those. Oh, well, let's not go to the Pacific Northwest. Let's not go to that city. Instead of going, hey, let's go. Hey, that place is dark. Let's go. Let's go be the light. Let's go bring Jesus, man. This is what we're about. And remember that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And they were holding fast to this. Look at verse 13. He goes, you, you hold fast to my name. You did not deny my faith even in the days which Antipas, my faithful martyr, was killed. So even when one of their people were killed for their faith, and by the way, many of them were being killed in these times. Now it's interesting, this fellow Antipas, we don't know anything about him except what we read here, not mentioned anywhere else in the New Testament. None of the early church fathers mentioned him, anything about him that I could find. None of the commentators I read had anything to say. But we do know about this in this time that Caesar had declared that all the, the people in it underneath his reign had to basically drop incense on an altar and declare Caesar is Lord. And so if you didn't do that, you're probably going to be put to death. And so this fellow Antipas was killed for his faith in Jesus Christ. And what I love, though, is that Jesus still commends all the church there, that they all held fast, uh, did not deny uh, his faith. And even though it led to Antipas's death, the church still had fast, held fast to the name of the Lord and faith in him. Man, what a beautiful thing to note. That Jesus knows the individual names of those who died for him. That's what I, that's what I take note here. They could have just said, oh, even when one of you is killed. No, no, we want to put this fellow Antipas's name in it. And we want to know that Antipas died for his faith. And, and, and Jesus is honoring him. I, I love this. How can we not be reminded of the words of Jesus in Luke 12? You don't have to turn there. Let me just read it to you. Luke 12, verses 4 through 7. It says, And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? And not one of them is forgotten before God. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. The Lord remember Antipas's name. Even here, he knows the very hairs of your head. How many, how many in number? And you know, it's interesting, even though the older we get, for some of us, it's a little bit easier for the Lord to count how many hairs we have left. Some of them, there's none left. That's okay. The Lord knows you. He knows everything about you. Here's the, here's the tricky part, right? He still loves you. He still loves me. And, and that's the beautiful thing. Remember that, who, who you are, whose you are, beloved in Christ. Now look at verse 14 as we come. Now, Jesus had started by commending their stalwartness. That, you know, they were hanging tough in his name. They're, they're standing firm in the face of persecution. But now he turns to correct them here in verse 14. But I have a few things against you. Because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam. 
who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Thus you have also those who hold to the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, the things which I hate. Now it's interesting. We are told here in these two verses Uh, that Jesus has a few things against them and two main points are, look, you're holding to the false doctrine of Balaam and you're also holding to the false doctrine of the Nicolaitans. And so he's talking here about doctrine. Now, here's where what I said earlier in the study, I'm going to break things up a little bit. I'm going to go a little bit in depth this morning as, you know, we head towards the end of the study to talk about doctrine, because notice he says it here two different times, the doctrine of Balaam and the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, and how this had led, they had allowed this false doctrines into their church. Notice too, though, by the way, it's only some, it's not all those in the church. Thanks for joining us for Simple Faith with Pastor Bill Henry, the senior pastor at Simple Faith Calvary Chapel in Vancouver, Washington. Now, if you were blessed by today's message in the book of Revelation, or you missed some of it, or you'd like to share it with a friend, go to our website and watch the video at simplefaith.org. That's simplefaith.org, and just click on the media tab at the top of the homepage. And if you'd like to contact us via the U.S. mail, our mailing address is P.O. Box 55, Battleground, Washington, 98604. Now here at Simple Faith Calvary Chapel, we have three services every Sunday morning at 8.30, 10, and 11.30. So if you're looking for a church home in the Vancouver, Washington area, make plans to join us for fellowship, worship, and a great time in God's Word. Again, that's 8.30, 10, and 11.30 every Sunday morning. And again, for directions or more information, go to our website, simplefaith.org. Thanks for joining us today and be sure to set aside another half hour next weekend at the same time as our study in Revelation continues here on Simple Faith with Pastor Bill Henry. Brought to you by Simple Faith Calvary Chapel. Have a wonderful week in the Lord.